0: I quit church today. Turn my back towards her and just walked away, but it hurts all the same. Okay, Toby, we're doing something new today. I know it's going to be weird, but I believe that over the years we've been. Not the best interviewers in the world, but we're better than <laughs> no. we used to be. <laughs> do you remember all the interviews we did when we first started doing interviews? The, like what that was like?
1: Yeah, horrific. Felt scary and hard. <laughs> it was only nice when we knew the person a little bit. When we didn't know, I mean, especially when it was three hosts and all of us had questions and we'd talk over each other and we'd talk as much or more than the guest. And
0: it, yeah, why do we even do that? Like if you knew you were bad at interview, didn't know what we're doing, we just thought it was funny to do interviews. Without even knowing how to do them? Was that kind of... It was like I that think was it's, an adventure. I think it's because we thought,
1: <laughs> we have a podcast, we have to. <laughs> yeah. That's what you do on a podcast, you do interviews. Yeah. You have to do interviews, right. you know what I mean? Because otherwise, what are you doing?
0: It was charming, though, to see us fumble through it somehow at that time. Because there weren't a lot of... Podcasts weren't that huge, so it didn't sound as dumb as it would today in 2014 to stumble through interviews and just try to talk. It was kind of crazy that you could just talk to people. I know. Like, that idea was so almost new. That you could casually talk to people, that was something charming about it.
1: I think so too. I th- even think for the guests, they hadn't really done anything like that because it's always so formal and the person is prepared with their list of questions. I mean, a lot of times they'd send you those lists of questions and we go, ah, we don't need those, <laughs> but we probably should have used them more. Yeah. But, you know, we just start talking. And then I think in some ways it made the guests a little more comfortable and, you know, I, somehow we got a little better. I don't know if I, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm a world class interviewer, but I've gotten hair better.
0: Yeah. Well the podcasting space has come so insanely far that now you have people like Mike Cosper making the rise and fall of Mars Hill and that thing's on the top of the iTunes charts now. And I know. you know, like we were in the iTunes charts way back in the day when we were doing something new, but he's doing something new at a high level. And of course, people know produce podcasts are a thing, but not they're not easy to achieve. It's very rare that a new one pops in there and makes it like that. And for that to be in our world and a story we know in a medium we know, it's just I find it like so exciting, just so right. exciting that some of our terrain and story and things are kind of hitting at the mainstream or whatever. And Mike's done a, a great job with that podcast. What are your thoughts on it so far?
1: I was really pleasantly surprised I thought Mike I mean he was on the before it came out he came on our show and was talking about it and I was like this will be really neat but I I didn't think I still wondered would people just go oh this this again or hadn't this been you know I feel like loosely within the church world people have talked about Mars Hill for a while now. And to get as much information and people to come on and, and go as deep as he has so far with the story, I thought it was, I thought it was enlightening even to me. I worked there. I worked at Mars West Seattle, and I still learned some new things, heard some voices that I hadn't heard in a long time. And I guess having worked at Mars one of the most interesting things to me is it almost feels as if people's voices have changed, and now they're talking about it with more truth. And I, I oh, think definitely. that was always there. I always thought, is this real? But it has to be because we're on mission together and this is so awesome and we're doing this for God and Mars Hill is going to take over the world for Jesus, you know. But I, now I feel like that was um, people were talking as a uh, a message board or a platform more than the real person. So hearing the people on the podcast talk in a real way, it's pretty powerful because yeah. they're telling the truth now because they're farther enough distance from it. And it doesn't, it's not going to cost their job or you know anything now that they can maybe be a little bit more real.
0: Yeah, it's the friendships and the social thing that you feel like you could be shunned for that has really seemed to have always been so hard to do. And plus it's traumatic, so people just didn't want to talk about it at first. We were kind of the loudmouths that, like, as it was collapsing, just talking about it. And I know that seemed harsh to some at the time. But, you know, that was just our way of dealing with it and processing. Other people needed time, and some people wrote blogs, and now they're saying it even more. You know, so it's cool that the time has passed enough that people could learn and grow from it and then share it on this podcast because I think it's doing really good. And to me, it's super – I mean, I hate to use the word healing or something, but when I'm hearing the people that are on there, those are all people I know and – when I'm hearing them, I'm thinking, "Oh, that's what they're. That's real. That's what they're like. That that's true. That's what Jesse Bryan's like. That's what Jen Smith's like. So right. my, I know Mike's getting it right because they sound like the people that I know. And even more sadly, they sound like the people that I was." Unbelievably attracted to in two thousand and three and four, and there be those people sound still coherent and reasonable to me. So it makes me feel way less crazy. I was like, did I just get involved with some super evangelical Christian cult? And all and what was wrong with me? But then when I go back and hear them, I'm like, no, no, those aren't crazy people. They were doing that, and they are still the kind of people that I like. They're still people like us you know they're still that's still my kind of people is those people who are telling the story and i know they made tons of mistakes like we all did all the way through but I, i'm finding that part of it to be really really on point point. and i'm feeling like you know there's a sensitivity to it i think we've had like have we covered that too much over the years but yeah. really I, I think nobody's been doing it really well until now so it's kind of exciting that there's more to, to draw from it now and that it's touching at the cultural Level and I'm feeling like listening to that podcast. I'm when I get done with it every week, I'm wanting to hear more of it. Maybe it would be useful to for me to sit in an interview chair here. And see if I could walk you through your experience calmly, <laughs> and see if like put you in that. I, I want to interview I'm you not like known a subject. For being calm, yeah. But I think we can do it calm because we talked about it over the years. But when we tend to talk about Mars Hill, it tends to get yelling and screaming and cussing and getting animated because that's the, the energy we brought to the conversation, kind of right from the beginning. I'm hoping to get the reflective Toby today, but um, I found that clip the other day of you uh, one of the first times we talked about Mars Hill on a podcast. Um, what episode number was that? Do you remember?
1: I think it was nine. 92 and it was called Driscoll Depression.
0: <laughs> we had an episode 92. Okay, so that's tw- yeah. 2015 or so then.
1: Yeah, I mean 92. I mean that was pretty early on. I mean uh, I, I don't know when it It've been year, 2015. 2015, 2016 yeah. the latest. So we
0: started the beginning of 2014. Yeah,
1: I just want to say something real and I'm going to use profanity so that people are <laughs> upset with me and know that I'm not a good guy. <laughs> Mark Driscoll sees the Bible more clearly than me. Mark Driscoll can open the Bible up for others more clearly than I can, Mark Driscoll, I believe, fully believes in what he's doing. But here's what I'm going to say: If you cannot get past asking for forgiveness and your pride, then you're full of fucking shit, <laughs> and you cannot preach in front of people because it is not healthy for anybody. Wow! And so, and and I just want to be honest with this because I actually think it's maybe my responsibility.
0: Well, they get there. You, we, you, you got you your headlines. Wow. You got the headline <laughs> now. Said,
1: I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard that "wow" come from Matt. It
0: was, wow. <laughs> well, just, y'all, are I, make, y'all are making me a little uncomfortable, but well, I'm, I I'm okay be real. with it.
1: I just wanna be real. I'm not a good person. I'm not <laughs> Mark, the hero. What is it? How's it go? I,
0: Mark Driscoll is full of fucking
1: shit. <laughs> he's full of fucking shit. And I'm just gonna be honest. I just oh wanna be honest. Gosh. We get one life. <laughs> we got we have one Jesus and this guy needs help because I will be one hundred percent honest. The world needs him. Man, All right, so let's make the some, world the world needs it. Do you love Mark Driscoll? Yes. What is the best thing for him to do right now?
0: Listen to the last 20 minutes of this <laughs> <No>. show.
1: <laughs> the best thing for him right now is to go, shit, I fucked up.
0: Golly, I
1: messed up. We gave you that. <laughs> that was really funny because you. It got, it's funny. If you notice, you and Joey, there's a little bit of uncomfortable, oh, so uncomfortable. A, little, a hair of nervousness <laughs> yes. there that I was saying something like that. As about a, a staff member of a mega church, I was a, you know, I was a worship leader at another mega church at this point about a pastor and nobody
0: liked it. Yeah, no, I, I was uncomfortable with you were saying that. Yeah, even that's what the temperature was so different back then. It's just way different. So in any case, let's revisit that toward the end of this interview. Yep. And I'm curious. Uh, we'll talk about that. But I can't help but want to know and think about people through the frame of before they were, you know, put through the ringer of life. I think there's a certain type of people that this is that we identify with that are knuckle breakers, like that, are, you know, that are the, I think of bad Christians are all knuckle breakers. We call it knuckle breakers, the Emory fan club. And it's the people that just have that different drive that, I don't know, there's, there's different qualities yeah. to it. But I think that, uh, I want to know just all the way back when you look back at your life, the good and the bad choices and the good and bad outcomes, what do you think has always driven you? Well, it, from the earliest of ages, I
1: had to be an entertainer. I, I was uh, imitating my pawpaw. I'd stand on the fireplace and in front of the fireplace and pretend I was preaching and just I was trying to copy him. I was, I was trying to copy adults and do jokes like them. And I think some of that came from my parents – Didn't seem that interested. (laughs) They just thought uh, he's always doing something. You know what I mean? But they didn't totally uh, that. They didn't try to uh, get me into theater or anything, anything like that. Music or anything is what I what I kind of just got myself into because I could sing or I could do a little bit of acting, whatever you know, in the dramas at school or whatever. And so the drive really was, and I even believe more deeply because my mom was a. Really smart emotional lady that was involved in my life, but that she didn't uh, try to push me any direction. They were both had full time jobs and were working and all that stuff. But I do believe I was trying to get my dad's attention, and I wanted him to think of me as good or smart or wow, he really did it. That's crazy. He he got the solo in in the choir, or you know, oh my gosh, he's doing great in school, or whatever it might be. And so I, I did, I think early on, and even to this to this day there is something uh, people call it daddy issues or something you know but i want mm-hmm. i need that masculine person to say good job wow i'm proud of you like th- there's of course your mom can be so nurturing and loving and there for you my mom has been there for me many times in my life and i'm not and so is my dad but my dad it's way harder for him to say i love you i'm proud of you it's really hard for us to have those conversations uh, and so i think there's something there with me that drives me to get Attention from females, but also males. Like I want males to laugh and make me feel like I'm a I'm accepted and I'm I'm a guy that's to be
0: liked and cared about. So that seems like there's a need, like there's a drive and a need. Is the the word need come up? You need need to be accepted. Yeah, I think so.
1: I I I have that desire for sure. As I've gotten older, it's definitely gotten less. Now you know, (laughs) I'm six feet away from people isn't enough. But there is some desire to be liked, and and that my that what I'm saying is respected enough that I I want you to know all my faults. I want to be truthful to you, but I I want you to like me and uh you know care about what I'm saying or you know and and from. Uh, older men in my life, that's always been something that's been one of the most, valuable. whether it be like, mm-hmm. co- there's been a few college professors and teachers in my life that were men that when they actually took the time to say, Toby, this is great. It broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Like I was just, I was mush. I was nothing. Cause when a man will take the time to say that with my own experience with older men, it's hard for men to share emotion or, uh, you know, really get down there on that level and go, hey, listen, let's be emotional for a minute. I'm really proud of you. That just can break your heart as a man.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could. You have the ability, obviously, to go emotionally to emotionally vulnerable and powerful places, and that's not always true about masculine men. Um, but you, you're both in that way that makes you particularly difficult to deal with. Like, you know, you need somebody. It's like you need somebody to go with you on both. You need somebody that's yeah. both masculine and can be vulnerable and handle intense emotions there. Um, so that to me, I've always felt like you're a person that has an intense amount of certain need. But when you're saying it now, um, there's something that I think that a lot of the people that belong at were at Mars Hill or all these other things is they're all. It seems like there's a they feel for for whatever reason a little bit outsider to the main culture that's going on. Um, and it seems like it's like a need to like everybody needs a place to belong, like belonging. It seems to be part of the need. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah, I think so for sure. Like uh, we've never been more separated as a you know as humans. It feels like, especially now with COVID, and to belong to a group and to feel like you have a, a tribe or a group of people that you sh- have some shared interest with, or somebody that would take the time and notice that you you exist. And say, hey, this is really great, or something that you do. I mean, I think that's just so valuable now. And, and I think we're seeing it more and more. Like, it's becoming more and more important than even careers, that just to be known is so valuable now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, thus, need for attention on a cultural level. But even in your early environment, did you, uh, did you, you were not getting what you needed to belong? Like, were you not fitting in, or did, would you have an outsider relationship that you didn't have a place to belong?
1: I was the fat kid, and I, I realized that pretty early on that I was it, – it, that that would be a go-to joke by a bully or a mean kid or anything. You know what I mean? Like if I was trying to be funny or trying to work out, in my mind, a material – because I thought of myself pretty early on as a comedian. I mean, by eighth grade, I did, at the talent show, stand-up. You know what I mean? Like in eighth grade, I was doing – I did a, an entire stand-up set that I stole off of uh, – you remember – uh MTV's half hour comedy hour. My parents, my parents would let me so I I stole some of the jokes and I created a few of my own and I did a and uh one Mr. Williams who I've talked about before, my uh is my English teacher in sixth and eighth grade afterwards he came up my parents didn't even come to the talent show
0: <laughs> they picked me up after they dropped me off pick me up that sounds mr. like an important clue for the <laughs> no,
1: but they didn't know i'll give my parents a little bit of a break they just didn't for some reason at that time they just i mean they'd worked all day or they hadn't got off work by the time i needed to get there and i just stayed after maybe i actually just stayed after school i think and then they came and picked me up i'm not i don't want to throw them under the bus but um mr williams was like man that was so good he didn't say funny and, and so I, I even understood my jokes, like maybe they weren't worked out all the way or landed, but for him to say that, I was just like, and to this day, I mean, he's still one of the most important men that's ever like oh, spent wow. a little bit of time with me. And so I think that that need was
0: there. And then the, that idea too of, oh, wow. Cause I mean, like, like, I mean, it, what did he put, recognize? Do you think that if it's not funny, what do you think the thing is that he, you, you felt seen, I guess, at that point, right? I think he thought, he was the first person that let me,
1: uh, so I asked him, because you know you had to write uh, little short stories in his class, and I said, could I write any story that I want? And he said, yeah, just give it a try. So I, I wrote a, what I thought was hilarious comedy about how I got trapped in a cave with my dog. And I wrote this funny, I can still remember it. Mm-hmm. And he wrote it, wrote back and I got like a B plus and he corrected all my mistakes, you know, grammar mistakes and stuff like that. But he said, uh, this is really creative. Keep going, or something like that. And he let me write any story I want. I didn't have to ever write this was my summer vacation. He never forced me to do that at wow. all. And so I was able to be as creative as I wanted to. And then so what I think he allowed me to do or see was that I could be creative because I mean we're talking about what uh, the late 80s, <laughs> you know, 1987 and 89. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Greer, South Carolina, you weren't going to be a comedian or a musician or an actor, you weren't going to do any of that. But I just thought, I got this in me, I just kind of want to try it. Could I just try it? This is the opportunity, it's a talent show. What am I, yeah. you know, I could sing, but maybe I'll just, what if I gave this comedy thing a try? And so I think it just, uh, that just helped me see you can do things everybody isn't going to get it and they won't even understand it necessarily but this is a real opportunity for me to just try and and that's what i've done ever since like i always just thought well you got to try i mean i think that's what led me to mars hill I, you know i had a uh, ruby was only two years old jess was pregnant uh, six months pregnant and when i got the job at mars hill uh, it was, she was six months months pregnant and we were living in missouri clinton missouri and we drove across the country with my pregnant wife, who was going to have the baby in in October, you know, three months later. And um, it was just that. But yeah, I kind of believe in that. So shouldn't we try? And Jess is mm-hmm. the same way. We we're like, well, let's just give it a shot. And so believe. that's always stuck with me that idea that you can try something, you might fail. Everybody's not going to get it. Not you know, I didn't get all laughs. Uh, I didn't win the talent show. <laughs> yeah. You know who won? I think that it was the cheerleaders that danced. This, this is hilarious the cheerleaders in eighth grade dance to that girl is poison. Yeah. (laughs) You remember that? I think they won. I was like, that seems a little bit like, I don't know if that would work these days. If you had eighth graders dancing." that girl is poison. Never trust a big button to smile. I don't think
0: that would pass anymore. But back then it won a talent show. (laughs) Oh, so you, so you are saying even when to do those things. And is that what you think that Mr. Williamson saw in you is that, your ability to believe or take that leap, because that that really comes up a ton for me and the people they, you know they, they're. Uh, I think a quality that I think is in common with with many is that they're in, innately trusting, and they can believe stuff, and then they can right. use that belief to try something others might not try or trust people that others might not trust. Does that go together for you at all?
1: Yeah. Well. I think it is. You're right. It is really good to believe and to try things, but inevitably there will be people that abuse that when you try to do those things. But you, know you, what I mean? do you find tell,
0: yourself an innately trusting person as a kid. Like I mean, uh, life changes that for some people. But when you, you know, you to me, you seem like a person who's very focused on can I trust this person? For instance, yeah, I, I'm so, very
1: mistrustful. Uh, just you know, I had uh, some of my family members uh, just were you know, it's hard to trust things and some of the people that were in my life early on i started mistrusting people and could tell when people were lying to me pretty early on even if it was a classmate
0: that's what i'm saying your your sensitivity to violation of trust has always been very high because like the default is to you you want to like you you're looking to trust right but
1: so i'm very I, i will not trust you until you earn it but once you do you have it fully like, I'm, I'm not on guard at all anymore. And so that's what gets me into trouble. If somebody can earn it right from the beginning and I go, whoa, this is real, I'm in. Then I'm in. I'm your friend for life until you, you break my heart or lie or, or really – you really have to really – Uh, put in the time to make me not be your friend anymore because once I've (laughs) earned that trust once I've earned because I I initially same as you I I did not like you at all I didn't think we would ever be friends first time we met I thought you were goofy and stupid Mm -hmm. and a nerd and I was like why do all these other guys why does Devin like him you know and now I've been in a band with y'all since you know 2001 it just you earned it and then that's it. Like my guards down, like you could probably abuse our friendship pretty easily. And I wouldn't catch on for a very long time. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but in the beginning I would have, yeah. you know what I mean? But, yeah. but now I just go, well, I know you so well. And I understand, I think
0: if you were doing something to me, I wouldn't even really get it. Cause I've, I would just be so trusting of it. See, that freaks me out. I mean, because it put, it just, you know, that this, like it's, it is, pu- it's so pure. Um, but there's other words that it turns into. Like you take that, what you're saying there that belief and then it becomes the quality of loyalty which i think is a little more it's not as noble yeah. of a quality as you would think it's it right. goes it's more of like a mafia quality of loyalty. like once it's loyalty that also involves denial or yeah. codependent are the other words yes. that are really closely related to me when i hear you say that that you know i've been uh, very susceptible to myself but you're exactly right
1: loyal and codependent are are two things that i deny only now I'm only now realizing that that's what it is. I thought I'm being a good friend, yeah. Right. but you're right. The better word to use there is loyal, which, you know, your dog's loyal, you know, or, you know, but that doesn't mean in relationship necessarily. I mean, a dog will be loyal to you and you could treat it terribly and that, yeah. you know
0: what I mean? Like that, what kind you know, it, to be loyal to each other, it takes two. And so from your point of view, if you can remember what qualities then attracted you to Mars Hill itself, like. You had a church background, obviously, and now yeah. enter Mars Hill. What do you remember the attraction?
1: Well, the I, I would have to say it started when we uh, started Emory and moved out to Seattle in 2001. We experienced a little bit of Mars Hill then in its earliest stages. Um, and I just thought, oh, it's so different than the churches I went to in South Carolina because, I mean, they have rock music. And we'd go see shows at Mars Hill, and they would have, like, the bands would cuss, and they wouldn't be Christians. You know what I mean? Like, and I was, I was, whoa, that's really crazy. But still, something about it, I didn't tell because if you remember, we also went to the city church. Judah Smith's dad was mm-hmm. the pastor at the city church, and uh, something about that too. I was like, huh, that felt a little bit more what I was, my speed at the time. I didn't know Marcel almost felt like a punch in the face at how like indie it was. Like even our band, we were still very much just southern guys trying to do rock music, and we still had so much of that. Southern evangelical mindset in our heads mm-hmm. that even Mars Hill almost seemed a little scary. I didn't know if I could totally trust it that way. Oh, interesting. And so we, we wanted City Church a little bit. So I went to City Church probably more than Mars Hill at the beginning. But, but then, then that's
0: 2003, uh, two, 2002, yeah, 2002, 2001, to the, two, yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah. Yep, all that time. So Mars Hill was in his fledgling state. Um, they were still meeting at the Paradox over there in the university area, and uh, but we would see bands there, and I just thought, man, if our band could ever play here, it'd be so cool. I just thought, is this real? How could they have these bands and be really Christians? <laughs> so it weirded me out a little bit, because even though I thought it was really cool and amazing, I was
0: like, I don't know if I could totally trust this. And then, uh, like, as in, it wasn't Christian enough, or maybe you still because you have a you had from the a lot south of like, and
1: evangelicalism, and the, like the it south, could be yeah.
0: led astray or to hell, or they could be fake Christian to you, almost right, yeah, right. Because
1: I, I, I was so conservative and the church I grew up in that this seemed like, yeah, I don't know if I can totally trust it. Because why are they doing this? That seems like they're just trying to get away from the you know you got to have rules. You got to have rules. You know what I mean? If you don't, then what kind of, are you really a Christian or something like that? So mm-hmm. that was where my mind was then as a Christian, because it was still so new. I mean, we were, you know, early twenties and trying to figure out everything. And we're bringing all the years of church and religion in our minds with us to Seattle, which is, you know, in lots of ways, the polar opposite of South Carolina in 2001. Still, maybe he is.
0: How did Mars Hill win you over then? How did that change?
1: Well, uh, I, I'll i blame it all on Devin Shelton. He quit our band.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, a, you know, we were going to Mars Hill and listening to sermons and stuff. like through. The, yeah. We were Mark Driscoll fans from 2003 yeah, on, even though we were on the road the whole time, so we weren't connected to the body. But at some point, Mars Hill is what we thought was like where we would listen to sermons and do church, even when we were on the road right. 200, 300 days a year, right? Yes. So,
1: but that was still, I had moved then and I wasn't, I was no longer in Seattle. And so, yes, when we were on tour, our band would just, instead of going to churches, because we tried to go to churches a few times, we were like, ah, this isn't that good. Let's just listen to a Mars Hill sermon or Mark Driscoll sermon. We probably had already started, there's a change there where it was like Mars Hill and then it was Mark Driscoll um to me and uh, i just started thinking Mar- mark driscoll the way he preaches is tough and he's really smart and he makes the sermon kind of fun to listen to and actually have it it's on the internet that's crazy you know i mean that's that still even at that time was kind of wild that you could yeah. get a sermon and you know that that idea i mean the internet is a lot different now than even in 2001 and so uh, 2002 so i think that it won me over because it was really entertaining, and I thought he was maybe the smartest preacher I'd ever heard.
0: Yeah, and it was working too. So you saw right. it the small paradox, and you wanted to be there and play there. Mm-hmm. And the cool and Jeff Becker was there, right? That, like you knew the people were there, and then they're crushing it at media and growth yeah. and music, which is the world we were in. Like right. In, in case anybody noticed, we're interested in media and music and growth and, right. and you know broadcasting and all those things. And Mark Driscoll was crushing it on every level from yes. nothing. right? So eva- every time you see something go to the next level, it was very easy to see, well, he obviously knows what he is doing. I mean, it was very obvious that he knew what he was doing, and the next thing he would do would be right or work, I should right. say, at least.
1: And then I'll say he was – I don't think – I don't know if he, this was intentional or not or just worked out this way, but in re- when I reflect back on it, it was almost as if he realized early on – get good reviews, like, you know, Amazon reviews or something like mm-hmm. people that we knew or bands that we played with in Seattle started going. And so there was like, uh, grassroots, uh, kind of good reviews for Mars Hill for people that mouth. I trusted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there were, yeah. there were people that I was like, Oh, this is, Oh, they're going, Oh, this—they're doing so. Oh my gosh, they had that many baptisms, and and man, he's really preaching the gospel. Here. It's not—I know that the band stuff, maybe that's just to get people in the door. But I mean, this is real. He's calling you. There's there's call to actions here for men and women, and I, that's what I need. I feel like I'm kind of lost. I'm just here in a rock band that's doing pretty good, and what am I doing? You know, I yeah, I would you know all the all the weaknesses of a, of a young man. I had them. Did you so, feel
0: that the Brock Band stuff was not as serious and the church stuff was more serious? Like, well, I get to do this goofy thing, but at least that church I can like you know, that, because the thing that can't I can't get my mind around is I never submit to any authority in ever in my life one time. Except this time. Right. And you're very similar to that. It's not like yeah. you're a teacher's pet or anything. Right. It's not like you had a job or a boss at any point or are even compatible with such concepts. <laughs> so, how how does this, you know, what was in your mind is I, whether it's the guilt or we're, meanwhile, we're doing spiritual music that we think is about God and getting people to you know we were doing something that we were doing that was right. i still think is great and the best thing you can one of the best things you can do is unite people through music in that decentralized way where everybody knows it's like a decentralized version of spirituality that's very positive and it was Christ focused even right but why do, but we thought but th- but you know we're stupid and we we like what was that part of it where we needed also the church somehow
1: well, we, yeah we just you you and i and probably devin as well but we've just been so counter this is the way or the only way you know i got my degree in elementary education never used it once nobody in my family understood wait a minute you just graduated college with a degree and you're going to go what play play at some club in seattle for 30 what that what what are you doing and i and i was like yeah
0: It seems like being a mischievous thing that we were being in a band felt mischievous almost. Right, and it felt like,
1: oh, yeah, I don't have to do the normal thing. I mean, You know, I don't have to. Why would I go be a teacher and not try? Once again, why wouldn't I just try? I I at least got to try, right? Because I know if I don't try, I'll have some resentments and regrets. But if I do try and fail miserably, at least I know that. I, I gave it a shot. I mean, everybody can laugh at me, and I'll feel miserable, and I'll be embarrassed. But at least I gave it a shot. And I think that that was the underlying thing with uh mars hill it felt diy it did feel yeah. decentralized it did not feel like yes, right, the first did. baptist church at all in greer south carolina it, it felt didn't, not even close yeah. it felt like and mark driscoll was even saying that if you if i ever you know what was the since you know he said if i ever uh, get lose my mind or don't act right or whatever y'all get rid of me because mars hill is going to keep going it's not about one person this is all and you're just like yeah
0: we're doing it that that i'm so glad you pointed that out because i feel like that exactly i just heard it in the recent episode from mike cosper but he has the tapes of mark saying those things that i thought i was crazy he didn't say that uh the elders and the
1: pastors here are a team mutually submissive i've got my own pastor on staff pastor leaf my wife and i submit to him i have accountability with him i'm one guy who votes with the other guys this is not a dictatorship. The senior pastor is Jesus. We're a functional, working, healthy, mutually submissive team. So I'm not saying I'm the spiritual leader. You do what I say. I think that's very abusive when one person alone is the spiritual leader.
0: And when he said that, I was like, okay, okay, then that, right. then he can submit. So, right? We now we come up to the issue of submission. Then yeah. so you submitted to like you went from thinking Marcel was this and that being a, the most independent person I know <laughs> right that doesn't submit to anything or anybody anytime and then you submit to mark Driscoll and marcel how what did submission mean why did you do that
1: I think that he presented uh it, he wasn't an idol but he was more like a uh like that he he seemed to be the type of man that I should aspire to be like so involved with his family. So in love with God, uh, you know, he, he seemed like he did care about women and that he did want real change in the world. And so I do thought, you think
0: he did pause right there. Do you still believe that he, did you think he did? Did he,
1: I mean, I guess I, I, actually can't say for sure, but I would think, I think he did. And then there's, there was some change where it was Mars Hill and then, it, then it became Mark Driscoll show. And I don't even know if he realized it at the time or he did, and we'll get into that probably more later. But I think for me, I just thought if he would get up there and say, I'm just one of many, I, I submit too. Well, that's really the kind of guy I aspire to be, a guy that takes no shit off of anybody and will do anything for his family and for God and for the people that he loves. But also, there's a, he would submit when he's wrong. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to be. But But you I can't think,
0: find anybody else to submit to. That's the problem. It's like I'm not submitting to this teacher or that thing or this yeah. government program that does this right. thing. Because it's not worthy of me to give my I can't give myself to it. Right. It's not good enough for that. But this is this one was. And he would always defer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, he always,
1: always talked about Jesus. So I think that man that I thought I should aspire to be, even he obviously he wasn't even that. And even he just believed that that's what you should be. It was this, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it was this uh, superman that we all want to be. And we thought, I thought, I saw that in Mark Driscoll in a sense, but even he wasn't that. He was just, you know, it was just, he was just living some form of what he thought masculine leadership should be. Did you
0: make a conscious choice to submit?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think I did. I think I did. I, I think I thought, hey, but this is where either you're going to keep going and kind of be on your own or maybe this is where you find your your people and your mission and this seems pretty important and the way they're talking they're going to take this to the world so i can be a cog in this wheel Mm -hmm. i I can i can submit and i think i have a lot to learn
0: And at that point, it jumps immediately to mind what you said earlier about once you trust somebody, then the loyalty kicks in. You know, so from that point, you know you're on the you're on the ride.
1: Yeah, um, I'll, I'll go back and even say the reason I blame Devin is because Devin quit our band, and I thought, okay, I have to do something now because if Devin's quitting, I'm older than him, and I already have a, a kid, and he quit the band. So am I being a real loser now? Because so I was a little bit in this career crisis where I'm 33 or 35 years old in in that area. Mm -hmm. And one of my best friends just quit the band to do real life because he thought that's what he's supposed to do. And I was like, what am I? And so I was primed at that time, probably mentally and uh, financially and all that stuff to go. I need something more. I got to be a real man. I got to provide for my family. I have to be a leader. I have to do all these things. My wife's pregnant. I have a kid already, and she's pregnant with our second kid. I got to do something real, and it just dropped out of the heavens. Hey, would you like to be a worship leader at Mars Hill?
0: Well, the context of that is quite interesting because, first of all, you have me, who is at Mars Hill still very involved and being a worship leader volunteer at the main Ballard campus that I'd been doing for a couple of years, uh, or a year at least at that point. And um you were, the opportunity that drops out of the heavens is that it's John Dunn, our A&R guy that got us signed to Tooth and Nail tooth and, and, and nail discovered records. us the first time magic right. happened in our life, um, calling you with this opportunity to come do music again, collaboration with him and me right. and uh, Dustin Kinsrew right from Thrice. So <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like with, for Mark Driscoll <laughs> and the mission of God to save the world and be in right. stadiums. So it's yeah. kind of hard. And you had, you were having a financial and personal crisis of meaning and purpose. <laughs> right. So it's kind of like a pretty good setup. Yeah, I know. I know. And so,
1: yeah, he called me and said, Hey, would you want to be a worship leader? I was like, Oh my gosh, this at Mars Hill, I could do that. Maybe, I mean, I could have like an actual, also a real career here. And i uh, and I get to work for the Lord. And, you know, I'm, they're going to press me. It's going to be hard. It's going to be like boot camp or something. You
0: know, in my mind, I thought, you were even be tough attracted and... to that part of it, though. That's the yeah. weird thing. Yeah like looking yeah. to submit almost.
1: Yeah, because I mean, they were already, I think that's what they'd already started saying. They don't call them men's retreats, men's advances. Yeah, or anything, you know? like, I mean, everything about it was hyper-masculine, and it was that uh, I can do something with my life as a man for my family and for God. And so I just thought, yeah, I have to do that. This is the, this is it. This is the God called you to do something, and this is it. You have to say yes.
0: And so I did. Have you always felt... Uh, Uh, felt the the uh, destiny of for you to be a hero (laughs) (laughs) probably (laughs) or something special i probably always thought
1: i'll do something special you know i
0: I, I definitely have that in my head yeah oh man well okay so that's all very 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 clear but what about that what about the real what i'm really interested in is how does that submission play out and did it play out and what was it in complementarianism and your wife and feminism and equality like that topic is uh, crazy and has shifted a ton for many people including you how about that part of it where does that come in
1: well there was an attraction there uh of in my mind i thought toby you're not a good enough husband because i know all my faults you know what I mean? Like I knew the porn I was looking at. I knew, uh, that when I got, uh, when I was on the road, um, I, I was, gone for my wife and my family a lot on tour. Um, I knew that, uh, when I got back, I was a little distant because I couldn't connect again with my wife because when you're on tour for six weeks, uh, you know, it's hard to just jump right back in. I just thought all these things, I wasn't leading my family. Well, I wasn't really pushing for us to go to, I didn't like the church we were going to, you know, when I'd be at home, I'd be like, Oh, I gotta go sit here again. Um, and I just, I just felt like, man, I just not doing a good job. I, I feel like I should be, more. I don't know if my families can count on me. And so all of those things were really attractive because that's all. Mark Driscoll's, so many of his sermons were just about men. You got to wake up. You got to treat her right. You got to do better. What are you doing? You're just kind of flopping around like a half dead fish, not going anywhere mm-hmm. and your marriages are dying or you're not even married or whatever, you know, all these things. And so it just seemed like I'm going to go get my ass kicked up here. And it's probably the only way that I'm going to have some real change.
0: But what did you have a complementarian relationship with your wife, and how explicit was that? What was her belief and part in that, and how did that change as a result of taking the whole plunge?
1: Yeah, I think she thought the same thing. I thought, well, first of all, she did think, well, we'll have a little bit more stability because he'll have a job. We were going to continue our band Emory, but this would be what I could do. That would actually, you know, maybe help me get health insurance. And you know, my, like I said, my wife was six months pregnant when we moved there, so for her there was a lot of stability there. And then she thought the same thing. She, you know, she enjoyed Mark Driscoll's sermons as well. And so Was she, she
0: complementarian by like? I mean, your wife is also one of the well, most really fiercely independent yeah. people imaginable. Right. How I'm still thinking like, how did she ever buy complementarianism to that? I can't. I can't. It does not make sense to me when I think about it.
1: Well, I, I mean, we didn't think of it in that those terms. I mean, I didn't hear complementarianism until I worked at Marseille. so I didn't even know what it meant. But I'll say, I think we both thought, if I could step up a little bit, maybe be a little tougher, maybe be a little bit more uh, dedicated to our family and to God, God her, our family, um, then... It, things would start flowing better and our family unit would work better and then I would be more trustworthy and that she, I, I think, I mean, I, I, this doesn't apply to everybody, I, but I, I will say sometimes it feels as if uh, women can submit to a man in a relationship, but the man does have to earn it. And, you know, she's not just going to, oh yeah, you know, she wants uh, uh, her husband to have earned it and be, oh, I can trust him. You know what I mean? And I don't know if my wife had full trust of me. And so that, there was a, a longing there that she probably had that I want to trust him in everything so that we can move forward in Christ and in God. So I think she thought it wasn't necessarily, it would be both of us submitting to God in a way, not necessarily her submitting to me only, but she thought, oh, now he's really putting in the work and that's something I can mm-hmm. trust. I can trust him more now.
0: That yeah, that one that's really the heart of the whole thing for me, I guess, is right where we're at now, and I'm trying to just untangle it, really, even for myself. The Bible, so it was male headship. So she was into it because, in a sense, that you already weren't. The Bible says, declares that you're the head, and male headship. Yeah. Yet the other party needs to be able, like needs to respect it and it needs to be earned. Just the Bible's proclamation is quite thin if right. the wife does not actually respect the husband or he hasn't earned it. But, right. And then to claim the headship because the Bible says, that's that's just where it starts to really get wacky. But nonetheless, there is a uh, that medium state where things aren't great and maybe more male headship, if he would actually step up to it, would be positive for her. You think she saw it that way?
1: Yes, 100%. And it would have been, I mean, she's, she's dating some artsy, creative guy that's, you know, in his thirties and in a rock and roll band an emo screamo band. So she thought, Oh, this is where he becomes more of a man instead. Cause I mean, I've always been a little bit, even now, and I'm 45, I'm still got that kid mentality. I just you know what I mean like I want I want to push boy. the push yeah. the boundaries I don't want to listen to authority I want to have have fun I want to do it my way and so I think she thought oh wait he's submitting to this that's pretty serious like I mean you know and I knew hey we're moving 2000 miles I have to be serious. I can't. I can't screw around here. My my family's depending on this, and I have to. And there's people now, and this is a real church job where I have to lead people and and lead worship. And what does that look like? And so all those things really did challenge me in a way that I thought. And, and I mean, I know we might even get to it, but it, it was good. It was good for me. It really was like it was a kick in the ass that I did kind of need. Mm-hmm. I, I miss it sometimes,
0: even now. What was uh, what? Effects did that have in your relationship as that mentality, you know, as it approaches what I mean? Do you look back at of it now as uh, that the Marcel culture is misogynistic?
1: Yeah, I do now. It was it was so hyper masculine that I didn't. It I just thought, oh yeah, this is the thing that hadn't. I mean, there is something really brilliant about a lot of other churches started moving a little bit more feminine. And women even, you know, st- statistics will show you this, that women even started leading their family more to church. Like the women, women are the uh, people that bring their families to church more than the dad does. And so it felt like a call to me. Hey, weak guy, you need to bring your family to church. Don't you want them to know Jesus? Don't you want your kids to understand God and love him and, and experience God's uh, all these things? And so I think for us, we both immediately – felt, okay, here we go. This is real. We're going to be really committed. And I mean, so I only ended up working there one year and I would say everything got clouded pretty quick with, I was like, oh, this is something feels hair off, but I couldn't define it. Something felt off fairly early, but I just had no words for it. Cause I was like, what well, that, what, what would you say is wrong, Toby? You know what I mean? Like, what, what could I say was the bad thing or the off thing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there was a few things here and there. I was like, ah, oh, that's any church. Every church has its problems. You know, that, it, we're just people. You know what I mean? Jesus and, all, Jesus and God are the only perfect ones. Sinners we, we're saved due. by grace. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I just, I kept anything that was a hair off, I would just kind of throw it to the side. So, so Jess, still, i believe.
0: yeah, I'm just curious about her point of view. And I mean, I know she hasn't talked about it, probably won't doesn't want to or anything like that, but she yeah. represents so many. Um, but what? what was the effects on what was off for her? Did it, how did it negatively impact her in the relational sense and the relate, like how was she treated by the other people there? How did it go for her?
1: Well, it felt, I think for us, it felt kind of strange that we were working at a church and we, we couldn't really get connected. Now, granted she had a baby, you know, right when we got there. So, you know, I, but like I, I, this is, I, I regret this now. Uh, but I didn't even really take a week off when we moved there. We moved there in August and Ike was born October 4th. Uh, this is 2011. And, um, I just, I didn't even really take a week off for Ike's birth. Like we went and, um, we left Ruby, our oldest with, uh, our, our friends, uh, that worked at the church and we went to the hospital by ourselves, had the baby and then, We were kind of just doing everything on our own. And it didn't feel because we were so new, and there wasn't like it felt like everybody was so on mission that I was taken away from anything. If I said, hey, We'd love more time. I think they would have given it to me. I think my pastor would have done all that. But I felt like I shouldn't even ask. Like, I just got this job and I'm going to take a week or two off to help my wife more. You know, it'll be fine. We'll just, we'll muscle through and we'll get through it. And so I think for her, she and me, we both felt like, oh, this is so serious. We got to always be on mission for God. We got to always do this. And that uh, that was self-inflicted. But I think it didn't feel like, it just felt like everybody was, I noticed fairly early on that it felt like copies of Mark Driscoll. I, with the things that people were saying, it was a copy of what he said in a sermon or what his attitude was like or who he was and what you have to do to spread the gospel. And so I immediately kind of just started kind of staying back from things. I would avoid some stuff. I didn't, cause I felt like, uh Oh, if I, if I say the wrong thing here, am I not on mission? Like maybe I like, I realized pretty early on, you, you don't disagree and I didn't know. I, like I said, I couldn't define that. But you didn't have your own r- real thoughts that could differ from what was being said, right? You know what I mean. Like, and I didn't know that, but you just didn't. No, bo- no one would have, you know, beat me up or fired me. But it was not. It was. It, you could tell it's frowned upon if you had a different idea. You couldn't, you know, question something out of the Bible. Or what Driscoll said, or disagree with it because you would be what you're trying to hurt the mission, right? Why would you say that? You're you're wrong. You got to see it the right way. Is the did way you, I felt.
0: Did you have the same thing as I did, where uh, my wife was starting to be bristled and rubbed the wrong way and irritated before I was about how things were going?
1: Uh, I don't think so. Um, just because, like I said, we were in a different situation because we had a newborn. So Jess. Um, she could tell from me that I was starting to feel weirder and weirder mm-hmm. as as the months went on that I was like, because uh, I, I was telling people about how I, I caught myself one time telling people how important God was and how serious this church was and what could happen and why they needed to be there, why they needed to serve, you know, why I needed them to play guitar, you know, for God and all this stuff. And I was like, wait, what am I saying here? Do I Do I care about their time or who they are? Why am I really pushing be here on Sunday and uh, like why am I doing that? And I would talk to her about it, and we've just started going. Wait a minute, this doesn't seem totally right. And then more and more things started happening like that where I was like, ah, this doesn't seem right.
0: But can you give us an example of a thing that didn't seem right? A concrete one.
1: Um, the the most, and I've talked about this on the Bad Christian podcast before. Um, okay, so there's a couple things. One, uh, I was tasked with uh, doing all the artwork in our foyer uh, with, you know, we wanted a bunch of local artists to put their, their pieces of art up in the foyer and we could support the local artists in, in West Seattle. And I reached out to a bunch of people and they said, yeah, we'll put our art up. It, and that was, it was hard because people didn't, anybody outside of Mars Hill didn't trust it. The stranger newspaper was calling it a cult. As soon as I moved there, you know, it was, it, you know, no one that didn't go to Mars Hill really said good things about it at all. It, you, and you know, you
0: dismissed that. How? I just like said it was my, called a cult you said it's not a cult
1: yeah I was like that that stranger newspapers from Seattle those 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 liberals are trying to destroy <laughs> the church you know what I mean this is yeah, this, yeah. you know Confirmation if, is right. yeah I mean in yeah. two two thousand eleven I was still very conservative and wrong thinking about a lot of things mm-hmm. and so uh, I just thought yeah it must be the enemy trying to destroy this church because obviously we're doing good we're trying to share the gospel well there's nothing bad here but uh so I got tasked with that and i the the people that gave their art. We were all females. And I was told this is way too feminine. We're not putting any of these up here. You have to find masculine images or masculine, uh, stronger colors. I was given like a list of the tougher colors and all that stuff. And I was like, huh. I was, I was frustrated because I was like, I did all this work and now I'm supposed to tell this lady, yeah, never mind. And it, it, I was And like, it's Why? literally because it's a girl, And, it, it's a girl and I thought, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, and I like the, the, the painting. I really like it. I think this is really cool. I think it would be really great. And a bunch of ladies go to this church. And what I mean, what does it? The color. And I was it, that was the first time I was like, every detail here matters. And it every single detail. I mean, and everybody's watching because you can't mess up. Yeah. You can't, you know, you and and you can't disagree. You can't. I mean, I, I was like, yeah. I said I tried to. Even, that's when I. That's probably the first thing I said. Uh, first time I gone. I think we should keep these because. Don't you think that's pretty valuable that we would be able to do this? And I think we eventually made a deal where one of them, one of the paintings looked kind of, it was the appropriate colors, whatever it was, and so we ended up leaving it or whatever. And then uh, I would say the next time was, and like I said, I've told this story before, there was a big movement where Driscoll uh, and the team, I guess at Ballard was where he was then. Um, The Ballard campus is where he preached live they came over to talk to each staff, so they would go to each church. Um, I forget how many were in Seattle at the time, but it was probably six, seven, eight churches by then, and um, they, the whole team is like a bunch of people there. The um, tech team was with them. They pulled up in SUVs, and uh, they got us uh, Chipotle and I was like, oh, this is going to be crazy. Mark Dressler is going to be here. And, you know, because it's a celebrity. And I, I'm not saying that, but I'm thinking, oh, man, the man behind all this is going to be here. This is going to be interesting. All right. And so uh, he shows up. And it's really funny because the first time I met him, I was just like, wow, he's so short. He's really short. But he shook my hand and just stared me in the eye. And I was like, good Lord, this guy's intense. I, you know, I'm, I'll go to battle with him, I guess, because if he's that intense, just shaking my hand, he's serious. And so uh, we sit down, in the, we sit down in the staff room around this big table and there's all these people there, including, uh, it was all men. And then our pastor's wife and Mark Driscoll sits down and everybody gets their burrito. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm wanting to eat my burrito. I'm trying to pull the tinfoil away, the burrito. I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm getting a free lunch. I'm going to hear Mark Driscoll talk. And he holds his burrito and he starts talking. And he's not taking a bite of the burrito. And all I want to do is take a bite of the burrito. But I'm like, if he's not eating, maybe I shouldn't eat. Like even if that like point, a was... a pack you know, of dogs. That's right. like what dogs like, do. Exactly. Like, the leader's <laughs> not Milan eating. is here. Right. And I was like, I got to listen to what he's saying. And, you know, eventually I think I was just like, I got to eat at least a bite. I, <laughs> I didn't even eat the whole... You know me. When have I ever not eaten a whole burrito yeah. from Chipotle? I mean, I have to. But he starts talking and everything he says reminds me of like a, a drill sergeant uh in the army in a uh, like a, in a movie This like this intense this is what we're gonna do this and he goes you know when i started uh i grew up a little bit south of here and he started telling a little bit of his story and it was tough and this but you know thank god he brought me up and and now look at what's happened with Hill. And I'm going to tell you, before that we had this, this, this church building, um, the other pastor, uh, the pastor before this was weak. He let it get run down. They started let, making it more like a community center where each of the rooms, people could have their own locks. And the whole, there wasn't even a church here anymore. It was just some, he's called, I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but he was saying something like, it was like this foo-foo, weird, uh, la-di-da stuff that wasn't anything about Jesus. And I was like, no. This can't happen anymore. So we got this church, and I remember I went in, uh, and there was you know some of the people here using it. And, and I knocked on one of the doors, and there was this guy painting up in one of the rooms up there. Y'all know the room I'm talking about. And I was like, "Hey, how are you doing?" He's like, "Hey, I'm I'm painting. I don't want you to come in here." He's like, "No, we just bought this. We we're gonna we we own this. You don't get to uh, you know." And the guy goes, "No, I have a lock. I've been you know I'm going to use this room. It's mine." He's like, "Do you pay for it?" No. Well, you get out. You get the hell out. And and I kicked that guy out, and he was gone. Because we're not doing that. We're not playing these games where people aren't on mission. We are not going and he's holding his burrito the whole time. And he's just cussing. And I mean, I promise you, he said, fuck, shit, hell, so much, and I couldn't believe it because we're all sitting there and our pastor, our pastor, campus pastor's wife, is there too. I was like, he's cussing like this in front of her. He's completely even it's now I go, he was aware, and that was a little bit of him probably trying to project some dominance or act like he didn't oh, care that sure. a female was there. But he was just I was like, the language he would use I mean, I use unbelievably bad language, and I was like a little uncomfortable. I was like, "I wouldn't. This is bizarre." I mean, he was just left and right. Fuck this! I can't believe it. we're going to do this. And and I told him, "You get your fucking shit, and you get the hell out of here." And I was like, "Yes, man! He cleaned this. <laughs> he cleaned this church up. He made it a church we're again. Do it in one in one day. This is unbelievable." And I was like, "Yeah, all, all right. This is awesome." And I just wrapped up the rest of my burrito. You know, it's probably fifty to seventy five percent left of that burrito. <laughs> That's funny how much I care about the food. But so my the house that I ended up living in was the intern house there because uh, and luckily so because they only pay they pay me about twenty seven thousand dollars a year to live to work in, six days a week in, in West Seattle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, and so luckily I had Emery in that because I mean even with that money we lost money. Like we we ended I thought I was getting a stable job. It ended up costing us money to work at Mars Hill. Um, and so, but so my house was only not even a block away, right. From the church, from that room I was sitting in and he leaves and they, they, you know, they pull off and, and uh, that was towards the end of the day, talked for at least an hour. That's what I'm saying. He held that. He never ate it. He just, it didn't that all. I don't know if all of that was planned (laughs) in his mind or, you know, in the flow, he goes, I'm not going to eat this thing because I want them to know how serious I am. But after he said all that, basically, to sum it all up, he was saying that the West Seattle was a bunch of lost people. They were hippies. They were weak. Uh, everybody that had run the church before, it just wasn't going good, and he was there to uh, kick some ass and clean it up, and this church is going to be for God now. And I was at a church. I'd gotten hired there. It had worked in my mind while he's talking. It's almost like a dreamy state in a sense. Um, I'm probably giving him a little, a little too weird. much credit, but I was just on board immediately. But I left that room. And I walked back to my house and I would say every 30 steps, I was like, that was kind of strange, wasn't it? I was like, nah, nah, nah. I walk a little bit more down the street. Wow. Like, isn't that bizarre? I said, why did I I mean Toby, why? I mean, you think it's cool if there was a community center that allowed somebody to have a space and to paint. Like you that you don't think that guy was doing anything wrong. And I was like, and I was like, yeah, but I mean, what?" and from that moment, I was like, by the time I'd got to my house, I knew I disagreed with what Mark Driscoll said. And I, and that was like, Ugh, Ugh. I can't tell a soul this. I can't tell a soul because in that room I was on board as much as anybody. I, it just almost was like a little bit of a veil or you know curtain was pulled by just walking outside. And, and now I think of that as God. Like, hey, Toby, like I heard this thing that was super powerful. And then I feel like God was there. The Holy Spirit in a way was going, hey, this, I mean, is this about me? Because I mean, you, why would you want to kick out people that are trying to. You know, being a community Serve center community, and make something better, right, yeah. right? Right. Right. And yeah. so that was in that moment, I was just like, "Whoa!" I just was totally. By the time I and I think I came home and talked to Jess, I was like, "He." I, I told her the whole story about the burrito and the cussing and all this stuff, but I was like, "I don't think I believe everything he said. That that felt like he was kind of wrong. What is that? How he treats people? That 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 is what he does. Is that and is it real? Why do you do that? I mean. It seems like he always talks about being loving and caring about people and, you know, give them a kick in the pants, but so that they could be better for them. But the way he talked about those people is get the hell out of here. You know, you're done. And so that was one of the big times where I just thought, oh gosh, and what do I do? How do I tell anybody this? Who do I tell? What do I tell them? I disagree with Mark Dreskel.
0: <laughs> <What? Yeah. laughs> Who the hell am I? Yeah. It's like North Korea. <laughs> the extreme of that is North Korea or something, right? right? right. You know, you can fit yeah. the pattern is the same, and that's what's so weird is those dynamics are very extreme. North Korea is very extreme. Mark Driscoll is yeah. very extreme. Mars Hill's extreme, but it's the same ingredients as really any organization or system. Yeah. You know, it's just a, a farther pushed than that. That emotional effect of that is so. It's weird. It's a hypnotic. It's a, a persuasion. The influence that wear wore off when you're out of the room, and right, you're either able to deny that, or it wears off, or it doesn't, or you don't right. hear the Holy Spirit, or you don't have internal integrity, or you're able to suppress it, or your needs are so bad to belong that you, I don't know. Like at that, it's everybody's on their own, right? Like right. when you leave that room, you're on your own to make sense of it and figure out right. how to navigate. And then I'll say,
1: from that point, I started going, I started having real questions, and then I started thinking are these things more staged? Like, you know what I mean? Then I started Mm. thinking, wait a minute, is this like the Wizard of Oz and there's something behind the curtain? Like he knows what he's doing. He's trying to intimidate. Is that, I mean, I started thinking, maybe is he preaching for an hour more to push you more deeper into the group think? Like, you know, I used to think, oh man, he preaches for an hour and people pay attention and it's really cool. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, he's doing this so you'll pay attention and submit to it because you're going to sit here longer most of those other weak pastors they're going to have you out in 35 minutes. I'm going to double that. Well, if you had it. a
0: regular pastor that isn't great and he makes you there an hour, that does not work for him. Right. <laughs> right. You have to be able to deliver on and that's yes, the thing that's I think that we have the point of view on of, of making it entertainment for a living is if you don't pay off people's expectation and attention, they are gone. Yeah, that's true. If you do not hold attention, if you do not deliver what they think you're going to deliver, if they're going to pay attention to your ass on stage or a podcast or anywhere else, if you don't pay it off, they're gone. You don't get to explain it or have meant well or anything. And so when you could start to see that Mark understood that deeply, then then you go, wait, is that an act? Because, I mean, we have an act we use on stage or something. Like, you could, you know, we kind of have a grip on that what it means to entertain or be charismatic or whatever. But, you know, I get distanced from that by saying, oh, I'm just entertainment, you know. But he's saying, I am the power of God. Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to hold everybody's attention. I want attention. I want as much as I can get that I can deliver on. And you felt like it was worth the time you spent with me. But I am, cannot, like, don't put that on me as responsibility. But Mark says, this is all Jesus. And then you can only make the implication that he's the vessel. Right. And that's just, that's just, that's I mean, intense.
1: he, he it, once again, in retrospect, I just think, I, I probably even think he's smarter than I ever thought while I worked at Mars Hill. Like, I think he is a really brilliant guy that was very aware what worked culturally. Because mm-hmm. I, I can remember him before, like even the, uh, uh, Joe Rogan Experience podcast got huge. When yeah. Joe Rogan was mostly just known as a comedian at that point. I remember him saying, uh, he was somewhere or he flew to see Joe Rogan live. And I was like, oh, he, he's picking up some of that. his mannerisms or he's That's he's kind of acting like like and him and Joe Rogan are both short yeah kinda to, tough guy you know what i mean like he took some of that like he was aware of what worked and delivery You know, he tried to add some humor eventually started to, you know, and, and then, I mean, even after Marcel imploded, he went the, oh, I'll be the older father figure. And I know we're not going to talk about that, but I mean, he's very aware of what's working culturally or in other. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying. He's uh, the most detail oriented person ever. I mean, he's a workaholic probably. I mean he's yeah. a, he should have been I mean if he'd have been a CEO he would have been a Fortune 500 company. He could company.
0: probably be a good general in World War 1 or 2 or oh, something, right? right? Just yeah. like that would have been that, that's what he's maybe he's built for or something. I right. don't know. Like maybe if you needed that to kill to crush the enemy or something yeah. then he's probably your guy. Uh I didn't know that that you said that about Joe Rogan, but I remember the first time I ever heard the Joe Rogan podcast, I didn't know he's a comedian, I didn't know anything. And you showed me the Joe Rogan podcast and when I listened to it for 8 minutes I said, "Oh, Mark listens to this." Right. Mark listens to this, obviously. Yeah. This is what, you know. So, right. that, and I don't know, I don't know how to think of that, and I really take it seriously that Joe Rogan gives me the same vibes, but it, the part of that is Mark t- takes for him. So, right. it, and also, know you can't trust people's motives. So, you know, now there's this charisma thing. Like, I have personality and charisma or something. Right. So that scares me. And so does all these other, I mean, everybody that you enjoy hanging around and listen to now saw all of a sudden like that feels like a liability to me. Anybody that right. can be entertaining, you have to be scared of them now. Jordan yeah. Peterson gives me that. Joe Rogan gives me that. Elon Musk gives me that. I know they're smarter than me. I know they know stuff. I know I'm susceptible to it. Right. But how paranoid can one be? What does it mean? How do you navigate? So from here... Uh, I mean, if you have a story about how, yeah, okay, I I do, I'm curious how you navigate now, but I want to get, how did you decide to leave, make a decision to get out? And then how do you navigate? That's the only thing I've got left that I'm interested to know.
1: Yeah. Well, so a couple of things happened when we realized, whoa, we, uh, well, we weren't making much money. In fact, we were losing money and we were, we were making it, but uh, just barely. And we weren't, you know, I wasn't did not have the stability that I thought I had. And then I had a lot of questions and zero place to talk about them. Mm-hmm. I felt very weird about the mission and what was happening and what was coming. And things were getting a little bit more and more bizarre with some of the way he preached and some of the things that were, I, I just thought, you know. That was the, right the,
0: when he went to Real Marriage, you called he did me the real say, marriage. we had this meeting and yep. Mark said he's an apostle right. now. It's freaking yes. now. I remember you yeah. called me. He,
1: he didn't, he never, I don't think he ever said he was an apostle, but he basically preached this whole big staff meeting Where he said there's uh, preachers and teachers and apostles, and he said, did all this thing to where he was basically alluding to the fact that he must be an apostle and that he was even going to preach uh, or teach teachers. I mean, preachers. Like he was going to be above what a regular preacher was. And I was like, ah, this is, what are we doing here? He's preaching a sermon about who he is. And even though he's not really clearly saying it, he didn't, I don't think he said. God has called me to be an apostle. I don't think that was the case. I'd love to hear that sermon. I'm sure there's probably audio somewhere of it, so it cleared up for me too exactly what he said. But I was just started feeling more and more strange, and uh, we got pregnant with Jess. Got pregnant with our third, and I was like, we just money isn't good. I'm feeling super weird. Do I want to raise my kids up in this? Something's a little off, and at that point, um, I didn't know what to do because I knew this is true. I knew if I went to my the staff at my church they would say you got to stay you're you're running or what are you doing like it felt like I couldn't tell them completely hey this is super weird and I want to quit. Mm-hmm. Like that would have been really hard for yeah. me and that's on me that's not on them. That uh, that's me being weak or wanting to run and not just totally telling them the truth but I could not tell like my head pastor or the the staff that worked there I really am worried about this and concerned and I just need to quit because I just can't do it. And so I went to them and I remember I had to call my pastor because he was out of town or doing something. And I said, Hey, listen, I just got to tell you, I I I didn't want to tell you by phone, but this is, I have to tell you now. Um, I think I'm going to step down. I don't think I, 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 told them that I was going to focus more on yours and my band, Matt and Toby yeah. and Emery. And it just, I wouldn't have time to do the worship leader. And I wanted them to be set up really good. And I said, you know, I think I loosely said something like, I don't know, you know, exactly where I'm at with some things. And I can remember talking to my pastor. My pastor was like, Hey, if it's about your job, great. But if it's about something, uh, with, uh, your, your faith or with this church, let's work it out and you should stay. And he said it really strongly to me. And I was like, yeah, it, it's about the band. <laughs> That's what I said. I chickened out and said it's about the band. And then I told our, you know, uh, was it chief operating officer, pastor, or the executive pastor, or something? And uh, still a, a great person, a great friend of mine. But at the time, he couldn't understand it. He was like, "You're making a mistake. You you need to stay. Why are you leaving? You can't do this because the band is, you're, you're,
0: you're, compared to this. Like, how yeah, could you? Right? Yeah. And yeah. you you know you're you're
1: you're supposed to be here, and part of that I think was that he really valued our friendship too. So it probably hurt him. But once again, who could he talk to? But at that time, so many people just—I just thought I'm talking to a copy of a copy of a copy of Mark Driscoll. That's what I felt like. It felt like, uh, you know, like uh, what's the movie? Multiplicity. The old, uh, uh, yeah, or, or no? What's the movie where the aliens implant their you know eggs inside your brain? You remember that old '80s movie? Uh, I forget what it's called, but everybody became you know they're on the same team now they want you to come on and yep. that's just what it felt like. i was like am i who am i talking to here i mean i went on a worship leader retreat and i was felt so alone because like i i'm
0: toby i just want to be that, toby, the but worship I don't leaders know if I can be other toby. like rock band front people that if you can't connect with them who can right. you yeah, yeah right that was I mean, the, yeah.
1: I, every, everybody was just and i was like am i a little mark driscoll what is that? What is that? I mean, or can yeah. I be Toby? Or what? I mean, when I go on, you know, because we, you and I, luckily got. I told them I have to tour to make money, or else I can't. I, I'll have to quit. And so they let me. But all that to say, too, The leaving
0: was really uncomfortable, too. Right? You had yes. to go on stage and do the. Yeah, I had to go
1: on stage and said the goodbyes and stuff. But it was, it just felt kind of strange. I even teared up and I cried. I was genuine in leaving, and I, and I have to say. So much good did come out of my time there. My experience at Mars Hill, there was a lot of good, and it did make me feel more like I need to care about certain things and be a better man and a better father, a better husband. I need to uh, be more reliable. I didn't need to be more trustworthy. I need to stop this and start this. All those things are true. But in the end, I think those were things that were talked about. And then there was this real underbelly that I was like, oh, this is what you have to do though. To, to get those things. And I just didn't like that. I didn't want So you want knew that. that
0: was, I mean, and then that is the really, the pivot moment where you kind of clue in on, uh, authenticity as a, as a core value then probably. Right. And then you, yes. then now we're here. I mean, I don't know what is between, there's a whole nother long, uh, interview I'd like but, to do with you to get from here to there. But from, I do want to, here. I do want to say but,
1: this. I think all the people that I worked with were really genuine and meant it, and they thought the mm-hmm. same as me. We're doing something for Jesus, mm-hmm. like we literally are called into the service of our God to help the world know more about Him. And so, I do believe everybody was genuine when we talk about authenticity. I think now they're the, probably a lot of them are the same as me. Oh, I was I had the the wool pulled over my eyes for a while, didn't I? I you know, like these are very smarter people than me. Way, you know what I mean? These people. Uh, we're trying to do the right thing. This goes back to that belief. like They actually had belief in what they thought mm-hmm. uh, a man should be or a woman should be or, uh, or a relationship should be and how you should share the gospel and, and the love of Christ. So all of those things were really true. It's just it got really tangled up in this one guy's personality. His personality is so strong, so charismatic, so smart, brilliant, that it was just overwhelming. And you just started going... Uh, I I'll, I'll just I'll just go along with. It. I won't I won't ask too many questions because why would I? You know I'm I'm the dummy, not Mark Driscoll. Did you hear that sermon last week? You know, what I mean, you hear how many pa- baptisms they had, and I'm over here talking about uh holding a burrito.
0: Who yeah. am I? You know? Yeah. So then when you have the outside people, there's a lot of outside people that said they could see it for what it was the whole time, though that you didn't yeah. you couldn't listen to. You know, there's those people. Right. And yet you would you would you stay there. Does the word naive fit the set of people that were there? Um what's the what's the word there for that? Does the word naive fit? I think it can. It it was more I I mean, this doesn't fit a definition of
1: a person, but I think all of the people had a longing for something to really feel it. You know what I mean? Like, I want to really feel God. I want to really feel like my life has a purpose. I, I have a need to, to, to do something good in this world. Yeah, go team. Man, this is, you know, we. oh, wait, I have a team? Oh, this is all, I mean, these people, we have a something in common, not just, you know, the location we live in or anything, but it's our God and we can talk about it. And, you know, there's a bunch of people saying bad things about it. So we got an enemy you know, we are, we got an enemy that we can all fight against together, and let's let's get on this team and do that. And that, that there was a real longing for that, like purpose and uh, uh, commitment. And I have a longing to really do something for my God, and I think this is it because that guy sure does. That guy up there every Sunday preaching,
0: he has. A, I mean, he is on fire for Jesus. So what's the difference in somebody like you and the person who never fell for that? You what different than that person?
1: uh if i mean if i was gonna say what toby thinks i think they just fell for something else you know i mean i I got i got stuck under mark driscoll and they got probably stuck under something else we all do i mean i think most humans are pretty susceptible to some kind of strong charismatic cause uh even if it's a personal one and it just it can get the best of you and so that's what i'm saying i don't think anybody was was really evil or bad I think everybody thought I'm doing something for the Lord. They thought they were doing something good, and that can get hijacked so easily. I mean, that, not in just in church, that case though, in all kinds of places.
0: So you, so you're not willing to go with the word naive to describe the group, which is totally fine. But what about the word cult? Does it? How does it work for you?
1: I remember the stranger saying that Marcel was a cult, like right after I'd you know had moved there to work work for them, and I I was, and I my neighbor hated Mars Hill. She thought it was just so terrible. And she thought she wasn't going to like us. And we were just, I was enough, just me that she actually grew to like Jess and I and was really nice to us. Even like she said the most heartfelt, like goodbye to our family out of everybody. Wow. You know, everybody else was, I don't know if they were just mad or I just wasn't on mission with them anymore. So it didn't really matter. I was just kind of going. and uh, And so I think the cult is maybe the right word cult sounds so bad because you think of uh you know like charles manson or something like that like where you're murdering well, people the different and types doing all of those cults. things
0: satanic death cults but right there are other t- you know what i mean and the, that no I is going to broaden from here culturally but when you say cult time. i
1: think everybody's mind goes to the very worst uh, of type course of cult. It does. and i think that this is a cult of uh, personality <laughs> and a cult of wanting to change the world for the good but it was hijacked so it wouldn't have been a cult
0: i think it became one then you say
1: i'm wondering did it become a cult when mark driscoll couldn't submit to authority and say i'm sorry at that point it it was the realization because if he would have said i've screwed up i I mean i've said this a million times on the podcast if, if mark driscoll Even on that episode that we, you know, clip we played, I say, if he could just say, I'm sorry, and go, I'm going to change, he might, would be the most influential Christian in the world, maybe even. I mean, he's that smart, that brilliant, that charismatic. I mean, if he could, that one thing, there's always the one thing that gets you. And when it gets you, it stops everything. So at that point, you had to decide... I'm pro Driscoll, I'm not, and a lot of people were newer just hearing, yeah, man, he wrote this book, and he's going over here to this pastor, calling this pastor out in California, he's all these campuses, they're talking about more camp. I mean, you know, there was a lot of, like, tourist Mars Hill people at the end, you know, I mean, Tourists, like, just yeah. kind of, oh, man, that, that personality's kind of cool, man, I'll go there, that's, that's if I gotta go to church, I'm gonna go to that one, because that guy's wild you know, they still think it's the caricature of the cussing pastor and who he was, you know, all those, that personality stuff, the famous guy that wrote the books and they're blowing up. Oh man, you know, and they, they, so they didn't really know like the people, you know, on uh, the rise and fall podcast, those people had, a lot of those people had been there for the whole time or very early on. And so they felt it more deeply. And I think they did feel like they were deceived. They felt probably a little foolish. How did they go along with certain things? Why didn't they step up? Why didn't they do more? So I think, it sounds so harsh, but cult does apply.
0: Well, the people. one of the features of a cult, which is, this just shows an organization that's not right. a cult can become one. So all, just by being an organization, you're, on, you're at watch there. Like, yeah. You have something to be mindful of. But one of the things is the people that hold the original values, they all left just like you did. When their authenticity and integrity was pushed too far, they had to go. But they went. Right. There was a method of how they go. So then, the people that did have the values aren't even there, right. and the power's increasing while one person, well-meaning yeah, as yeah, you yeah. may be, is corrupted. And yep. now it's all about. So that that is the recipe. Yeah. So and then so and this only the people left are the ones that are there for the the power. Re- you know, it right. it it. The people with the original values aren't there anymore. Yeah. So so it's not like did they start a cult or leave a cult or leave it before it came a cult or become become a cult because they left or was it right. a cult? I mean, then, all of those are questions you don't really have to come up with a, any kind of binary answer for. But they yeah. seem just so functional to me um, of how that intersects with society and media. Mark was just uh, way ahead of his time, which just yeah. means you know those mini Driscolls you talk about here they yeah. come. They're out, they're about, they're you know we're them. You know, right. marks it more influential on me and you than almost anybody. That right. sucks, but it's true. I, it I learned true. more from him than most anybody else. Yeah, and so I, the, a lot of the things I know, oh. I know, I I got them from him. Right. So what does that mean? So that's lots plenty to wrestle with.
1: No, I know. I think one thing that people didn't understand, and this is why I was so harsh with my take on it, even years before anybody else was talking bad about Mark Driscoll. I mean, people were talking bad about Mark Driscoll, but in public no one would ever say Mark Driscoll's full of fucking shit. Uh, that was a little probably ignorant on me anyway to say something so brash, but that, to not build a bridge for people to understand what Mark Driscoll was like. But what I think that people don't understand is, when it is that strong of a pull that, and your belief and your faith is drawn into something, you're on a mission. And then all of a sudden, the head guy disappears. And now not only are all these people that you're with and these families and groups are breaking up, but you don't have a mission anymore. You're not you're not changing the world anymore. Now you got to go, what, to another church and hope that that pastor's legit, that that, that pastor won't try to abuse your faith and belief and time and money. I mean, yet you, you have to start doing all this. stuff. So I feel like it made so many people I know just feel so lost because they had believed so strongly that they were in something together with this giant group of people to change the world, and it's done. Because Mark Driscoll was right. Marsh Hill became Mark Driscoll. It wasn't Marsh Hill anymore. It was Mark Driscoll, and he said, you know, I he on some uh, spot I heard, he knew that, you know, he he was the driving force behind what Mars Hill was. And without him, it wouldn't be as popular or as influential or whatever. So he started using his fame, as celebrity. He was trying to push more and more. And and so once that started happening, that was also the end of it. But all of a sudden, everybody that thought still thought it was Mars Hill was like, oh, it was just Mark Driscoll, mm-hmm. and now I have nothing. So I'm going to go sit at this other church pew next Sunday? No. Why? I mean, I mean you just can't. Yeah, I ended up going, you know, trying to fix myself in a way. Uh, once it started all falling apart even more, uh, working at another mega church, and I just realized, what am I doing? I, I just, it, I really started losing my trust in what church is because it is very much personality driven, and that's just true. I, I'm not saying all, uh, you know, uh, I think there's uh, about 95 percent too many pastors. There's probably about five of five percent of them that probably are real, and we should have just less. And then you have, or maybe I should say, preachers. <laughs> There's yeah. probably about five percent that should be preachers, and then maybe there should be some pastors that take care of people. But my my views on pastors and the pastoral role has changed. You can't unbelievably put it back. So. Yeah, no.
0: yeah. I always felt like the you brought all these people in from these churches that we thought were shitty churches and yeah. upgraded them, right. except for it's a. It turns out those people were fuel for the system to grow. Um, and they're one way they can't go back. I mean, so then it got, you know, the, those people, right. you can't go back to your small church after you, after this right. or something. So there's something yeah. fully destructive about it in that way that it it
1: changed me forever from just going, yeah, you, you, the church, tr- the church is good. I, I can't, I, I'm my, now my. Uh, trust level is, is way down. Like I, it, if for a church to earn my trust, it's going to take an unbelievable amount. And I don't know why anybody would go in blindly going, yeah, that pastor is pretty cool. No, nah, you better give that some real time. You better That pastor needs to earn Everybody's trust And even then but No that, there's no
0: point Where you cross into Loyalty to it though the, the, right. you can't yes, stay blind. You're like, right There's just Yes the, When you want to question again You must at that time You must be right. constantly committed to, to questioning When it doesn't It can't There's no amount of trust That will prevent Future questioning Right, right. <laughs> That's yeah, what right. I feel animated by But it's the not easy yes But that's what I'm Susceptible to That's right. the I, And I, I hate that But it's true It's so- Day. Turn my back towards her and just walked away.